section persecution round two we've already seen a little bit of persecution already um and remember Stephen right he um he was bold and brazen he is speaking to the the Pharisees about Jesus and um he didn't really um, sugarcoat his message if you remember correctly um and so the consequence was he, he died. They, they killed him. They mur- martyred him. And that's why Stephen's, well, Stephen is considered the first martyr, the first Christian martyr. He died for his faith. He died for his belief. And the consequence of that is the church started to spread all through the area, all through the regions, mostly going up north. But as we've seen, really everywhere, truly, they spread out all over the place. Um, and that's the consequence of that first round of persecution. Um, I guess the interesting thing to remember about that was it was the, the Sanhedrin. It was the, um, it was the Pharisees, the, 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 the Jewish religious power that was causing the persecution of the church at that time. You know what I'm saying? So the church was fleeing from the old religion, right? The, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the old Jewish established religion. That's, that's who the persecution was coming from, and that's who the church was fleeing. Now we're going to see a different kind of persecution. Now it's going to come from the state, if you will. It's going to come from the establishment, the, the governing establishment. So it's actually going to come from the king, Herod. Um, and that's what we see here in verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Um, King Herod, um, the Tetrarch, which is, um, he wasn't the emperor of Rome, but he was a king. They were governed by these Tetrarchs, these ruling kings throughout the area. And he was the, in charge of Judea, basically. He was the Roman king of Judea, the appointed guy to rule over that area. Um, this is also the same guy who killed all the boys around Bethlehem who were two years and under because of his resentment about Jesus, the baby, or the young person. You remember that, when, when Jesus fled to Egypt with his mom and dad, because all the people around the area of Bethlehem were being killed, all the babies? That was Herod, nice fella. He also beheaded John the Baptist. You guys know John the Baptist, you heard about him. He, he was the one who beheaded him. Um, he he um, was dared, and he was watching, um, I think, his niece dancing provocatively, and was encouraged to behead John the Baptist because they hated him. Uh, he hated him as well because he rebuked him for sleeping with his brother's wife. So again, a very interesting fellow, this King Herod. Um, and he also was the guy who dared not condemn Christ at his trial, but instead warned uh, or wanted Jesus rather to entertain him. You remember that when Pilate was trying to con- con- convict and he realized, oh, you're a Judean. Well, go see Herod because that's his Herod's jurisdiction. So go see Herod. And Herod, all he did was just kind of make light of him. Oh, Jesus, let's see some miracles. I want you to entertain me. He was that kind of guy. He was that kind of guy. Um, and so instead he goes, you know, just go back to Pilate. I can't be bothered with you. I'll let the governor deal with you. I don't want 
you know, I don't want to deal with, with this. This is too much. I've got too many political issues to deal with as it is. You're just going to make things more difficult. So if you're not going to entertain me, you're not going to make me happy, go back to Pilate and I'll let Pilate hang you. And that's basically what happened. That's this guy. That's Herod. He's a, he's a class A guy, isn't he? So he's wanting to persecute the church now. Um, the word persecuting, to intend to persecute. Kakao, to oppress, afflict, harm, maltreat, to embitter, render evil, afflicted. Uh, his intention was to harm. And when I read this, because I live in a 21st century kind of, you know, place, you know, Western society, quite liberal, I think, well, that's just not fair. <laughs> that's not fair. What did the church do to deserve this? There was no accusation. There's no reason. Wait, hold on a second. Just all of a sudden, I mean, if you remember the last chapter when we ended, things were going good, the church. They were growing. In fact, they were, they were, being, they were opening up. They, you know, the, the gospel was being now preached not just to the local you know, Jewish people, but now it's being preached to all the Gentiles. So in other words, the church was growing. The church was accepting people. The church was loving people. So if anything, what did the church do wrong? It's loving, it's accepting, it's not isolating itself from other you know, cultures and ethnic people. The church was doing really wonderful things. Why are they, why all, why all of a sudden, persecution? What did they do wrong? What did they do to upset him? It doesn't say. Does it? It just says that about this time, that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. Well, again, remember the kind of character King Herod was. So maybe he didn't really need a reason. Maybe he was just a bit resentful. You know, didn't, didn't like the attention the church was getting. So the answer really is simple, nothing. And, and I, I think this is just a satanic attack upon God's people. And, and, and to be honest, guys, this could, can't come at any place at any time. Because, you know, even though Satan is a defeated foe, this is still after Satan's defeat at the cross. He's still roaming around, like it says in First Peter, like a... Like a lion, a ravenous, hungry lion wanting to take people out. And so Satan wants to trip us up. He wants to get under skin. He wants to cause the church to stumble and fall. Because he hates God and he hates God's people. And I think he'll use any, pardon the word, any Egypt. <laughs> Anyone who's willing to be used by Satan will be used by Satan to, to do. But the thing is, God's going to win. And that's what we're going to find out with these, in this Bible study. You, know, you can, Satan can try as hard as he can to thwart God's will, to get in God's way. But God's always going to win. So here we are. Here's the situation. He um, had also James, brother of John, put to death with the sword. So there's another thing to add to his CV. When he saw that, um, when he saw that uh, this met with this approval among the Jews, okay, so he killed John, the brother of um, James, you know, the son of Zebedee, you know, Peter, James, and John. It's that guy, John. He, he, he saw that, that, that this, uh, or rather James, not John, because John actually lived for quite a long time, but James. Not, not James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James, but this is James, the brother of John, who wrote the, the, the Gospels and the Epistles and the book of Revelation. He saw that, oh, the Jews like this. Ooh, this is nice. So he rubs his hands. And so he says, I'm going to keep going. Because you know what? Herod's, he's, he's, he's politically cheap. Anything to get a little bit of approval. As we're going to see here in a moment, he had a lot of disapproval amongst a lot of people in his jurisdiction. He was not a very well-loved and accepted person. 
you know, again, his character was a bit, you know, undesirable. So he wasn't liked. And so the fact that he actually got some attention, some positive attention from the, the Jew group, you know, the Jewish people, he's like, oh, great, cool. We'll keep killing some Christians. If that makes them happy, because they're, they cause me a lot of grief. All these Jewish uprisings, I'm sick of it. If this calms them down, if this makes them happy, we'll kill some more Christians. Cool. So he proceeds to seize Peter also. And this um, happened during the festival of unleavened bread, which is very much the same kind of time of the year that Jesus was arrested. But at this time, several years afterwards, or a couple years or whatever, years afterwards. Um, see, you guys remember the story of Job. If you've never read the book of Job, read it, because especially for people who, who want to know why God lets bad things happen to good people. If you're one of those kinds of people who struggle with that concept or know someone who does, um, read through Job if you can manage it. It's quite a long book, and it's quite challenging as well. But man, so good, so good. Here's just a little section out of Job 1. And, and this fellow Job, you know, this ancient figure, he gets it. He understands this persecution. He understands when Satan's coming after you. And, he, and, he, and here we see this, this dilemma. We see this paradox about Satan coming after people, but yet God kind of allowing it to happen. And that seems mysterious to, 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 to me and to a lot of people. Why would God allow Satan to do these things? Why would God allow you know, Herod to, to do the persecuted church? Why did he allow these things to happen? And still today, you know, there's lots of persecution. I mean, just thinking about what happened just last week in Russia, you know. Um, yeah, it's illegal now to be Christian, pretty much. You know, you can't have, you can't evangelize. You can't, um, um, what is it, um, no independent church is allowed. It's, it's official as of last week, you know. Yeah. So the state church, it's kind of like how it is in China. You have a state church, which is highly controlled over the government. But you can't worship God independently. You can't talk to people freely about your faith. You will, you will likely get arrested and fined and whatnot. So that's persecution, guys. That's happening right here, right now, in this day and age. But why does God allow that? Doesn't God love his people? Well, Job gets it because Job got it. <laughs> he got the persecution. It says in Job 1, starting verse 6, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the, the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it, <laughs> as he does. Right? That's what Satan does. He roams around, causing problems. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So again, nothing wrong with Job. He's a good guy. He's right on. Does, does Job fear God for nothing? And I like that. That's an important, I think this might be the, the, the kind of key precept for today's Bible study. Job fears God. And the thing is, that's, that's, they're, they're, that's the important element is the word fear. Who do we fear? Job didn't fear Satan. He feared God. Job didn't fear people. He didn't fear natural travesties. And he didn't fear for his health. He feared God. Why? Because God is the boss. God's in charge. God's, God sits on the throne. God determines. And, and, and even though God may allow some funky things to happen, we know that his will is, is perfect and good. Job understood that. He goes, I don't, I, I, you know what? If, if someone can come and kill me and take my, away my, my life, but my soul rests safely in God's kingdom, ultimately. So that gives him a lot more freedom to move about and to live freely. 
because he, because he doesn't fear what can happen if he does messes up, if people disapprove of him. You know what I'm saying? Oh, what if I hurt myself doing something? You know, he doesn't fear those things. He fears God and God alone. Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So basically, Satan's accusation is he loves you because you you take really good care of him. But if you stop taking really good care of him, he's going to start to hate you. He's going to say, whoa, 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 where's my stuff, God? Come on. But you know the story. In fact, it says at the very end of chapter 1 that Job never sinned against God. He stayed faithful the whole time. And let me let's, and just let you know there's several chapters of, of, of pain that Job had to suffer through. But still, he never, ever sinned against God. So the Lord said to Satan, very well. Again, look who's in charge here, guys. Satan's not in charge. Satan's not the boss. We're not in charge. We don't get to choose. God's in charge. The Lord said to Satan, okay, very well. Then everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. That's the initial, you know, charge. But he changed that later on. And he does actually cause Job to get sick as well, physically. But uh, again, if you want to know more about that, you have to go home and read it. So Satan went out from the Lord's presence to cause grief. Next slide, please. Now, this idea about Suffering and persecution. Let's just let you know, some people in our, in, our, in our culture today might look at the church and its suffering, as, and even Christ and his suffering, as God's failure. But it's not God's failure. It's a part of God's plan. Jesus was very aware that he was going to suffer on the cross. Again, people say, well, if God is God and Jesus is the Son of God, and he, why did he die? That's failure. But no, that's not failure. That was the plan. That was the plan. That was the intention. Jesus himself said that he predicted his persecution. He predicted his time on the cross. But not just that. He also predicted it for the church. Okay, guys? He also predicted it for the church. And here's just a few verses where he did that. Matthew 10, 17 says, Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local authorities and be flogged in the synagogues. Matthew 10, 18. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Matthew 24, 9. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. So these are two different events, two different occurrences. Matthew 10 occurrence, Matthew 24 occurrence. We have John 12, 20. And by the way, in case you haven't noticed, this is Jesus speaking here, guys. This is Jesus speaking here. He was very aware of what was going to happen. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they obey yours. John 16, 2. And again, Jesus said, they'll put, on, put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. So again, there's this element of delusion. To kill Christians is to do a wonderful thing for God. It's just delusion. And it is. It's a satanic oppression. It's a satanic attacks against God and his people. Jesus knew it was going to happen. And so he says these words to prepare, to strengthen, to encourage his people. And so the next slide we see then now Peter in jail. Again. This isn't his first time in jail. <laughs> 
In fact, if you want to go down here, this is a rerun, by the way, of Acts 4. The priest, the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. Now, the reason why they put him in jail is because they were teaching in the courts of the temple Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. And they didn't like that, so they arrested him for that. But then they really couldn't do anything about it because they were afraid of the people, really. They didn't have the power of the clout, really, to, to, to execute Jesus or to punish him, but how they would want to do that. So they had to ultimately, in verse 21, let him go. After further threats, so they threatened him. Don't talk about Jesus or we're going to hurt you. But go. They, can, they, you know, they, they, they were afraid of the people. But now, something interesting is going on. That fear factor is no longer there. Because now, because Herod has no fear. He's just, he's an arrogant, proud man. And he's not afraid. You know what? If, in fact, if anything, if this makes the Jews happy, I'm in on this. Let's do it. So that fear factor is now not there. He doesn't have to answer to anyone. Let's do it. And so here we have next 12, Peter being arrested for a second time. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for a public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Okay, I should have highlighted that because I think this is really important. And I'm, I'm going to talk more about this prayer element. But I just want you guys to, to, to appreciate the fact that, that the church is together, okay? The church is united. The church is one. And they see a, a brother who's, who's serving God faithfully is not being persecuted. He's not being put in jail wrongly and falsely. And what do they do? I mean, this is, this is common sense stuff. This is the kind of stuff that the church does. And by the way, by the church, I mean followers of Jesus, disciples, people like you and I. In fact, I would hope that we are and we consider ourselves to be part of the church. This is the things that people do. They pray for people. They look out for opportunities to pray. If you, if you call yourself a Christian and you don't pray earnestly, I would say rethink your position with God. Because this is the kind of things that Christians do. They pray. They pray earnestly for people, for opportunities. There's no problem with prayer. If you have a problem with prayer, I really am concerned. Christians don't have a problem with prayer. They see Peter in need. They pray for him earnestly. They don't rationalize. They don't theorize. They pray. So the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Maybe he was thinking about Jesus still and how he escaped, <laughs> even being dead. Because remember how he disappeared after dying with the tomb being guarded? So he's thinking, this Peter guy, he's, he's, a, he's a friend of Jesus. He's not going to escape. He's not going to escape. Not this time. So we're going to guard him heavily. Well, you can try. Satan can try. The persecuting agents, whatever they may be, authorities, political people, whatever. They can try as hard as they can to thwart God's will. But God's going to always have his will be done. Even if he has to get funky miracle on him, you know? Funky miraculous, like we're going to see right now. In the next slide. So, going on next 12 and verse 7. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light sh shone in the cell. 
He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. And the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. Again, we know Peter liked to have his trances and visions. He probably was assuming he's dreaming again. But no, this is really happening. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gates leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left them. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord had sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Again, Still, through good times, through bad times, through wonderful, miraculous moments like this, remember, God is in control. God's in charge. Okay? You can't avoid that fact. Yes, Job, you know, God may have said, yes, and on you go. Torment him. And you know what? Herod was there, and he was in power for some reason, because we also know that God, he sets up authorities, and he sets authorities down. So why was even King Herod there? Well, I hate to say it, Satan. King Herod, you know, current modern-day persecutors, they're all tools of God. If God wants you out, if God wants you to deliver, if he's not done with you in your ministry yet, he's going, to, he's going to rescue you. And that's what's here. King Herod can't hold Peter back. Not if God wants him to continue his ministry. And here, this is exactly what happened. God can do anything he wants, even send an angel to come and rescue him. So again, I have to ask this question one more time. So Christians, why don't you pray? Why don't we pray? So again, in Acts 12, 12, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, and called Mark, or also called Mark, rather, where many people had gathered and were praying. It wasn't just the, the wee old ladies from church hanging about praying and having tea. There were many people. This is what the church did. Men did it. Women did it. Children did it. Old people did it. Young people did it. This is what the church does. Many people were gathering and were praying. This is what happens. And so then we see Peter. He knocked to the door at the entrance. And a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. She, when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it. Ah! And she ran. That's kind of funny. I love how the Bible puts in those little bits of information. Gives you a chance to giggle a little bit. Peter's at the door! And of course they told him, you're out of your mind. No, she is not Or no, he is not Well, when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be an angel. Again, common sense dictates that Peter's in jail, Peter remain in jail. Why do we struggle with our faith? Why do we say, well, God's not going to do that? That's why I say earlier, they don't, ra- well, here they're rationalizing a little bit, and that's unfortunate. But Christians shouldn't be in the business of using, you know, rationalizing what God, God cannot do. What Christians should do be in, the, be in the business of praying to God, falling on our knees in humility, and asking God for the most insane things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, if we sit and thought, thought about it long enough, Certainly that won't happen. Certainly this won't happen. And if we're not praying about it, we can rest assured these things won't happen. But if we sit and we pray, because look at them. They're like this, unbelievable. 
That's what we're praying for. Wait, are you telling me God answers prayers? Yeah, of course he does. But Peter kept on knocking. Come on, let me in. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. Guys, be quiet. I need to tell you what the Lord has done today. The Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Okay, guys. Again, in case you haven't noticed, next slide. I, I see a connection here, guys. Many people gather to pray. The Lord brought him out of prison. I mean, am I assuming too much there? I mean, yeah, God can do whatever he wants to do with or without our prayer. But you know what? Let's just bask in that connection right there. Okay, people prayed. God's doing things. Don't know. Let's just move on. So Herod. And his demented pride. He's no more. And that's an important thing to remember. Baddies will come and go, but God will always be here. Jesus is alive. He's alive forever. Baddies. And by the way, Herod, when you see Herod, I, I, I see him as a type of tyranny. Okay? A type of tyranny. He's a, he's, a, he's a political figure who was oppressive over his people, including the church. The church were part of his authority. They were part of his people. He, needed to, he should be taking care of them, these people. But instead, he persecuted them wrongly. That's tyranny. And it, and it comes and goes. It happens. It happens all the time. But here, listen to what happens to Herod. In the morning, verse 18, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had, hap- had become of Peter. After Herod had a, a, a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards in order that they be executed. So, of course, you know, that's standard policy. You know, the guards would take on the punishment of the prisoner. You lost your prisoner, you have to suffer the, their, their punishment. And, and obviously they wanted to kill Peter. That's what he wanted to do. So they died. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea. I, originally I would have thought that's like, oh, he, he's probably fed up and want to have a holiday. Because Caesarea is on the east, west coast. Of, so he left his area south, Judea, inland, to go west and north a wee bit, Caesarea. But, well, so he left. I've had enough of this stuff. These, these Christians are driving me crazy. I'm out of here. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Okay, maybe he went up there for political reasons because Tyre and Sidon were also west coast cities up north of Caesarea. And so he had grievances with them. He had to deal with. So they joined together. They formed a union and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, that's a cool, we should name our next son Blastus, Jed, Danny, that's awesome. Belastus, a trusted personal servant for the king. They asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. Okay, basically they formed a union and they're begging the king for food. So this guy wasn't really that good of a guy. He wasn't really even feeding the people. He persecuted the church. He lived for himself and his tummy. He was a total hedonist. And these guys are banding together saying, guy, yeah, can we have some food, please? I mean, he was, he, was, he was a whito, this King Herod guy. He was, a, he was a proper tyrant. So in verse 21, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of man. 
Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. I love little phrases like that. You know what I'm saying? It's just like these things that give us such great fear and intimidation, they just can go away so quickly, so easily, in light of God and his power and his will and what he wants to do, what he is doing. And so again, what's God doing? Verse 24. See, Herod's intention is to stop this, but God wants us to keep going. This, this, This right here in verse 24. The word of God continues to spread and flourish. Even to this day, boys and girls, friends, family, brothers and sisters, even to this day, Herod, Satan wanted to see Herod stop and intimidate the church. Okay, if the Jews aren't going to stop you, if the Pharisees and the Sadducees aren't going to stop you, then maybe the king and his authority will stop you. No, because even a king to God is nothing but warm food. Yeah? He stopped him. So we can keep on doing this. And if it wasn't for this interaction, we may have not even be able to sit here today appreciating what God has done for us through the words. We need to be informed. That's what it says in Romans. How are we going to be saved if we don't hear the message? And how are we going to hear the message if it doesn't get to us? If it's not preached to us, delivered to us? Yeah? So that's, that's important. Satan tried to stop. And Satan used Herod to try to stop Jesus from living to die on the cross. And he's, now he's using Herod again here in his great egotistical pride to stop the church from preaching Jesus. But God said, enough, Herod. And truly, it's as simple as that. There's no more Herod. He's away. So again, tyranny, it comes and goes. But you know what? Jesus, he lives forever. And so we get back to this question I asked earlier, if you remember. Who do you worship then? God or man? In other words, who gets under your skin more often? Who do you fear most often? Okay? Are you intimidated by what's going on in the news? Are you feared of the extremists, religious people out there, which, yeah, they're frightening. The persecution that comes from that. Like, like I said earlier about decisions made politically, you know, nations that reject God, people, culture groups that reject God. Are, are, do we fear those things, what, what they're going to do to us? Do we fear our health? Are we afraid to go outside of our homes? What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of man and what man can do to us? Because we see even the most intimidating man is warm food in God's eyes. You know? God or man? See, that's what I like about Job again. Job teaches an important lesson. No matter what happens to us, how much we get our heads panned in, by circumstances, no matter how much we're persecuted by people, governments, authorities, men, friends, family, whatever. Who do we fear? Jesus said, don't fear the one who can take away your body, who can kill your body, but the one who can kill your spirit and your soul in hellfire. I.e., it's God. Job feared God. God. He said, you know, no matter what happens to me, I fear God. It's God who I'm interested in. Even if I get it wrong with every single person down here on earth, I don't want to get it wrong with God. I want to follow in line with God because that is the ultimate most important thing. That's what Job said. And that's what the church, I believe, 
is supposed to be like. That's what we see. Peter. Peter didn't fear Herod. He didn't. He didn't fall dead. And oh, you don't understand, guys. I've had a real, you know, it was a really, really tragic experience. I'm traumatized here, so I'm just. I'm done. That's enough. Uh, second time arrested, threats on my life. I'm done. Was that Peter? No, he didn't. Okay, yeah, it hurts. Yeah, he was probably had some some fear going on, but. His fear for God was much greater. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. I need to fear God. And a part of that fearing God is trusting in God that no matter what happens, he's got you covered. You know what I'm saying? Even if the worst thing happens, God has you safely in the palm of his hands. That's a big part of what fear is. I don't want to disappoint you, God. I don't want to reject you and turn away from you, God, because of my fears. I want to be as close to you as possible, God. So, all these fears need to subside. And my fear for you has to increase. And that's why I use the word worship. You know what I'm saying? Because if we lift up things that aren't God to be greater than they ought to be, we get afraid when they let us down. We get afraid when they fall down. We get afraid when they corrode and disappear. We get afraid when we can't manage it. So we try to ensure everything. We can't even do that. So things collapse. Things fall around us. Our world starts to tumble and fall those are idols or they can be idols if we don't put them in the right place but when you say but listen all these things set submissively under god and god's will then you have a clear perspective of who god is and what god's doing and all these things start to go away they exist they're still there they still could bother you from time to time but ultimately you get your focus on god and you say but he's the one i'm really interested in he's the one who i really worship I really put my focus on, and he's the one I'm interested in. I don't want to disappoint him. He's the one I fear. All these things, they come and go. And I've done this exercise before with you guys, where I've asked you, think about a year ago, the things that you were afraid of, the things that you were wound up, the things that got your attention, that, that gave you anxiety and woke you up in the middle of the night. Think about those things. Are they still bugging you today? Oh, here's a better question. Do you still remember what they are? You know what I'm saying? Because I mean, we all have, we have, we're all challenged with anxiety. We're all wound up by these things. But that's the first question. Do you remember what it was a year ago? Probably not. Why? Because it probably wasn't as big as you thought it was. Now think about two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah, I've lost you, haven't I? You know why? Because you forgot about it. Hopefully it's because you got your eyes on God and your trust is on him and he sorted those things out for you. But ultimately these things are like worm food. In God's perspective, they come, they wind you up, but they go away just as fast. Mm-hmm.